Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for his word this morning. Father, as we come before you, we are so grateful for the amazing gift of sending your son to this earth to live a life, to teach, to do miracles, to live as an example for us, but most importantly, to come here to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life in Christ. Lord, give us wisdom this morning as we look at your word. Help us as we're challenged by the life of a teenage girl. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the core characters in the Christmas story is Mary. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we're introduced to this teenage girl. We see the introduction of Mary in verses 26 and 27. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now the sixth month, it was the sixth month since Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, had become pregnant. Goes on in verse 27, says it uh, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now there's great misunderstanding concerning Mary, and I'd like to take just a, a few minutes and look at some of those misunderstandings concerning this young lady Mary. One is what's termed the Immaculate Conception. And that's the idea that Mary was born without a sin nature. Luke 18, 19 says, So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Although Mary was a godly woman, she was not without sin. Another false view is that of perpetual virginity, which states that Mary remained a virgin her entire life. Another one is called the bodily assumption, and that's that Mary never died. Instead, she was taken to heaven in bodily form, much like the Old Testament characters of Enoch or Elijah. Now, neither of these two, the perpetual virginity or bodily assumption, have any biblical evidence. We see that Mary had more children after Jesus was born. Scripture and history tell us that. Also, Matthew chapter 1 tells us that Joseph did not have sexual relations with Mary before the birth of Jesus. And that did two things. That pointed to the virgin birth, but it also indicated that the abstinence between the two was only for a time. And there is nothing in Scripture or other early history that speaks of Mary being taken to heaven before death. Another false view of Mary is that she was a co-redeemer, the dispenser of grace. Some people believe that Mary is deity and has the ability to forgive sins, to dispense grace. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by his grace, God's grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ alone that we have salvation and forgiveness of sins. 
The belief that Mary was the one who dispenses grace comes from the phrase full of grace from the Latin Vulgate. The word is actually there a passive verb that they take this from, and a passive verb means the action is being done towards someone, not by them. And this points out that Mary was the one who was the recipient of grace. Another false view is that Mary is one who hears and answers prayer. Some teach that we pray to Mary, but Scripture does not teach that. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, although I believe that those views are false, I think oftentimes they're given out of a desire to emphasize the godliness of this young lady, and she was definitely a very godly young lady. And I think it's important for us to recognize these two parts of this next statement I'm going to make. And that's this, while Mary is not a deity to worship, she is an example to follow. And as we look at the story of Mary here specifically in the celebration of what we call Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, and her major part in God's plan, and we also see her throughout the Gospels, throughout the the pictures of the life of Jesus, the four Gospels, we see a very godly lady that can teach us much. And in the story here this morning in Luke chapter 1, we find her as a teenage girl. There's a little debate on, on how old she is. Some believe even as young as 13 or 14 to the older teens, somewhere in there. But this young lady has a lot to tell us. And so let's look at this story of Mary. The story begins in the town of Nazareth, as we read there in verses 26 and 27. Mary was engaged to a young man, a carpenter named Joseph. Now, if you have uh, seen Israel or pictures of Israel, you'll recognize that there's not a lot of woodworking going on. And that term carpenter actually can mean a stonemason, and and although we don't know for sure, Joseph was probably dual-purposed in both working with wood and what little wood there was, but also working with stone. He was a craftsman. And Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. Now, marriage involved a three-step process. First was the choice of a mate, and that usually involved the parents coming together to agree to have their children marry. Now, if you're here and you're a parent, especially if uh, you have single children who are considering marriage, you say, that might be pretty good. I could probably do a pretty good job of picking out the right one. Now, if you're the one to be married, you'll say, no, that's all right, Mom and Dad, I got it. But in their culture, the the parents would, would get together and they would make the choice of who their son or daughter would marry. And so we see that was the first part, the first step was the choice. 
And then they had what we would call an engagement. The engagement would be about a year in length, and it had a couple different reasons why it was a very important part of this marriage process. The couple would be able to demonstrate their faithfulness, even though they would spend very little time together. It would demonstrate their faithfulness, and the husband-to-be would take this time to prepare living quarters for the couple. Oftentimes, they would build on the family house, but he would build this place for the couple to live. And during this time, they would be considered married in every way except physically. If the choice was made to break the engagement, a divorce would be required. And if one would die during that time, the other would be considered a widow or widower. And you'll see, if you go back to Matthew 1's description of the story and looking at Joseph's point of view or his actions... When the angel came to see Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, we find that, that Joseph had determined to put Mary away privately, to divorce her privately. There were two types of divorce, a private divorce, which was taken with, with just a couple witnesses, and then a public divorce, which was before everyone, and he desired not to embarrass Mary because at that time, and again, we're, we're looking at different passage. We aren't quite there yet here in, in Luke chapter 1, but, but Joseph had found out that Mary was pregnant. And so he, before the angel came to him, he was trying to determine what should he do. And Joseph, demonstrating his godliness at the time, desired to not embarrass Mary or have her stoned, which was a possible punishment of adultery. Instead, he wanted to, even at his own hurt and pain, put her away privately, do as little as possible to embarrass or hurt Mary. But so we see the story here in Luke chapter 1 is taking place during this, what we call, engagement period. There was a third step of the wedding, which was the ceremony itself and the feast that would last many days, and afterwards the couple would then live together. So as we're introduced to Mary here in Luke chapter 1, I'm sure that she was focused on preparing for her life with Joseph. But oh, how things would change, because the angel Gabriel appeared to her with a message that would turn her life upside down. And we see Gabriel's message as we continue on in verses 28 through 33. Beginning in verse 28, it says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what matter of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
So let's take just a couple minutes and look at the components of Gabriel's message to Mary. His message begins with telling her that she would conceive and bear a son. That connects what's taking place with the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14, which says a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Probably one of the most, if not the most, familiar prophecy of the coming of Jesus, of his birth. Gabriel also said that he will be called Jesus. That name means God saves. He goes on to say he will be great and called the Son of the Most High. Now, this is similar to the message given to Zacharias. We looked at last week when Zacharias was promised by Gabriel there in the temple that, that he and Elizabeth would have a son. They would name him John. But Zacharias was told that John would be great in the eyes of the Lord. But Mary's child, the greatness even more unlimited greatness, he would be the Son of God. Gabriel goes on and says that he will be given the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will be eternal. The message here connects, connects the birth of Jesus with the Old Testament prophecies that, that pointed out that there would come a long-awaited Messiah. And so just as Zacharias, in, in our, as we looked at last week earlier in the book of Luke, or chapter 1 of Luke, we see that Zacharias understood the importance of John coming as the forerunner of the Messiah. Mary definitely could understand through the message from Gabriel that, that Gabriel was talking about the Messiah, the one who would come, this long-promised hope for the nation of Israel and for the world. And so we see a, a picture of who Jesus was in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. It says this, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person..." And so the brightness of His glory, God's glory, the express image of His, of God's person, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, upholding all things by the word of His power... When he had made and had by himself purged our sin, Jesus Christ, coming for the forgiveness of our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's telling us that Jesus Christ is God himself. God coming in human flesh. And so Gabriel is giving this amazing message to this teenage girl named Mary. And try to picture what's going through her mind as, as Gabriel shares this message. Again, she begins with fear. We talked about that last week when Zacharias was met by Gabriel. The fear of, of not only seeing the holiness of God reflected in the angel, but also the message. Highly favored one wasn't a, a normal message. I doubt you went to anybody this week that you met and said, hello, highly favored one. But we see here the, the introduction and Mary's fear, but Gabriel says, do not be afraid. Again, that phrase or phrase is similar 365 times in Scripture. should be a reminder daily to us 
that with God we do not need to fear. But Mary still had some questions, one specific question. And so we see as the story continues, as we we find the narrative goes on in verses 34 through 37, Gabriel explains the miraculous birth. Beginning in verse 34, it says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Mary responded with a question. Now, if you were able to be with us last week, you, you think, okay, yeah, Zacharias had a question, and it wasn't good. Zacharias' question demonstrated his doubt of God's ability to do what he was promising. But Mary's question was different. And we can look at it this way, a a comparison of Zacharias versus Mary and the question that each had and why Zacharias' question demonstrated his doubt while Mary's did not. You see, Zacharias questioned the possibility of the prophecy happening. In other words, could God really do this? I mean, you remember what Zacharias said? I'm old and my wife is well advanced in years. This is something that's impossible. It goes against science. And he questioned that God would and could really do what the angel was pronouncing. But what about Mary? You see, Mary trusted God but was unsure how the miracle would happen. Not could and would God do it, but how was it going to take place? She wasn't questioning the power of God in this situation. She was wondering by what means it would take place. And we see here that the angel explained that the God who created and upholds the universe would create life in Mary's womb through his Holy Spirit. We call it the virgin birth. God would miraculously give Mary a baby, and this baby would be, as Gabriel said there in verse about 36, the Son of God. The virgin birth. The virgin birth is a debated portion of the Christmas story. And it's, it's debated or discussed in two aspects. The first aspect is, did it really happen or is it a myth? Liberal scholars would would argue that this virgin birth was a myth. And their main argument comes from questioning the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14, which says a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Now, they argue that the word translated virgin in Isaiah 7.14, a virgin shall conceive, 
can actually simply mean a young woman. Now, that word from the Hebrew can actually mean occasionally young woman, but it is commonly understood as virgin. But there is much more evidence pointing to the fact that Mary was a virgin. The Greek translation, we call it the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses a Greek word there which only means virgin. Mary herself, that we just read in her response to Gabriel, states that she's a virgin. She says, how can this be since I do not know a man? In other words, I haven't had sexual relationships with any man. How can I be pregnant? If you go back to the Matthew account, we see that the word there used in Matthew is a word that only means virgin. John chapter 1 points to the fact that Jesus Christ was virgin-born. And so we see it's not a myth. But there's a second thing, and, and I think it happens because as Christ followers, we get nervous. And we don't necessarily want to have that battle. And we say, well, yeah, but is it really important that Jesus Christ was virgin born? Because if I say that it's a central part of salvation, I'm going to have to have that debate. So is it really important Is it a big deal? The answer is yes. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, he would be just like any other child born. A man and a woman together. He would have a sin nature. And he would not be God. We could simply put it this way. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, he would not be God. If he is not God, he is a liar. The Bible is not true and salvation is a hoax. Guess what? If that's the case, there's no purpose for us being here this morning. The virgin birth is a central part of the salvation story and it can take place because of the incredible, miraculous power of God. Is it a myth? It's not. Is it important? It is. You see, the virgin birth is vital to salvation because it's through the virgin birth that God himself could come to this earth without sin and be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And Gabriel goes on in verses 36 and 37, and he gives a sign and a promise. The sign was this. The sign that was that Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, and Mary knew Elizabeth and Zacharias' story, that they were older and had not been blessed with a child. I'm sure Mary knew the pain that Elizabeth had been going through. But Gabriel said, by the way, 
You remember your cousin Elizabeth? She's six months pregnant. And then also a promise. With God, nothing is impossible. Mary, this will be a miraculous birth, and it's a miraculous birth because it's going to be at the, at the, at the voice of an all-powerful God. The action can take place because God is involved, and he is all-powerful. With God, nothing is impossible. And then notice Mary's response in verse 38 it says then Mary said behold the maid servant of the lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her Mary responded with faith and submission Elizabeth so right after this Mary goes and visits Elizabeth and they celebrate God's work in their lives together but in verse 45 of Luke chapter 1 Elizabeth is 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 Sharing, and she pointed to Mary to Mary's faith here in verse forty-five. And of Mary, she said, "Blessed is she who believed." She recognized the faith of her cousin Mary. Mary's submission is seen in her song, which begins this way. We we read of her song beginning in verse forty-six. It says, "And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name." If you'll notice, and that's just the beginning of this song that Mary shares. But you'll notice that it's all about God and what God has done. We see there in verse 38 that we just read, Mary says that she is the maidservant of the Lord. That term maidservant can also be uh, translated bond slave. Willingly putting yourself under the authority of another. And Mary willingly put herself under the authority of God as she submitted herself to him and his will, obeying him completely. We notice this about Mary, that she submitted herself to God, not knowing all the details of what would happen. I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier for me to do something I'm told to do when, I, when I'm confident of the outcome. But when I'm not sure how that is going to affect me, I'm much more hesitant to do what I'm asked to do. Mary was willing to do whatever God asked her to do, even though she was unsure of how it would affect her life. That's faith and submission. Mary demonstrated faith and submission. We also see that Mary submitted herself to God knowing that her obedience would be difficult. Not only was, he, was she unsure of the results, but she could be confident that this step of obedience would be very hard. Think of 
some of the things she could lose. I'm sure she thought of them. She could lose her reputation, her marriage, even her life. Think about that. Her reputation. The town of Nazareth, the town of just a few hundred people. I'm sure most, if not everyone, in Nazareth knew Mary and Joseph. I'm sure many of them were excited about the upcoming marriage ceremony and the feast that would take place. They'd seen Joseph busily building that place where they were going to live. Did you see? I think Mary's pregnant. I'm sure word got around. And her reputation would be destroyed. But you see, although we are to be concerned about our reputation, Mary was more concerned about her character. Reputation is what others believe you are. Character is who you are before God. And so Mary willingly set aside her reputation to obey. But not only that, she could lose her marriage. Gabriel didn't say to her, oh, and by the way, we're talking to Joseph, and, and, and we'll, we'll let him in on this. And, and by the way, I, I, you know, I stand in the presence of God, Gabriel speaking. I, I stand in the presence of God, and, and he's got the whole plan worked out. You don't have to worry anything. You and Joseph are going to have a, a marriage together. It'll be okay. No. I'm sure flashing through Mary's mind was a thought, what am I going to say to Joseph? Will he really believe that an angel came to me and said that I'm going to be pregnant by God and I'm going to be the one who will be the mother of the Messiah? Isn't this great, Joseph? No, she could lose her marriage. And even her life, a punishment for adultery was stoning. The death penalty. And Mary was not promised that things would be easy. But although she was confident that things would be difficult, whatever the consequences... She willingly submitted to the will of God because she believed that that was the most important thing for her to do and she could trust him. What about in our lives? What are some lessons that we can learn this morning? Again, just like Zacharias last week, I don't think anyone is going to go home this afternoon and have an angel appear to them and share that they're going to have a baby miraculously or something similar to that. But there are some lessons that we can learn. This teenage girl has a lot to teach us. And in my life, I need to have the faith and submission that this young girl had. You see, just like Mary, I must trust that God is in control and can handle any situation, even the impossible, or what I consider the impossible. He is a God I can trust. 
Verse 37 reminds us that with, all, with God all things are possible. And just like Mary, I must submit myself to God and follow him completely. My life is to be filled with faith and submission. And also, just like Mary, I must be willing to obey even when obedience involves my loss in order to honor God and help others. You see, Mary recognized that her life would never be the same when she submitted to the will of God and chose to obey Him. She knew that it would be hard. But she could say, so let it be, because she was the maidservant, the bond slave of her heavenly Father. So wherever you are in your life's journey and in your journey with Christ, you can trust him. He is the God of the impossible. And he is worthy of our praise, but also worthy of our obedience. And so as we praise God through this Christmas season and beyond, let's remember the importance of submit and obey, because I can trust the God of the impossible. You see, when, Zach, when Zacharias saw the angel, he could not see how God could do the miraculous. But when Mary saw the angel, she was able to see how God could use her to accomplish his purpose and provide salvation for others. And that is why God could trust his plan to a teenage girl from a small town in northern Israel because she was a faithful servant of God. Let's pray. Father, as we are amazed at your faithfulness, we're grateful for the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ, a hope no matter our current circumstances. I pray for those this morning who are hurting I pray that you would comfort and encourage and strengthen each one. Lord, I also thank you that we can trust you. We can trust and obey as we submit ourselves to your will. Help us to be willing to do what you call us to do. And Lord, we will give you the glory as we celebrate the birth of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.